0: Good to be with you again, had a great time with my daughter and then my down in Arkansas and then came back here, my son and my daughter-in-law and granddaughter were here and so uh, it's been really fun. But it's good to be back up in the pulpit again and uh, continuing on in the book of Genesis. We're in Genesis 32 by the way. When our kids were little, I used to love to wrestle with them on the floor. I'd lay on the floor. Tara would grab this arm. Michael would grab the other. We would laugh, and we would have so much fun together. As they grew, it became more and more difficult to uh, control them break free from their grasp. And I still was pretty good at it until Jenny would hear us laughing and she would come over, and she would look at me, just look at me, just laughing with the kids on each side, and, and then she would turn around, and she would sit right on my chest. <laughs> then I was done. I couldn't do anything. I didn't want to hurt Jenny. The kids had me down then, they could, and they would, like, grab my fingers, and I'd be like, no, don't hurt my fingers. Um, and the kids would rejoice in victory over Dad. I'm not sure there were any spiritual lessons to those times, but we sure had a lot of fun together. Uh, Today we're going to look at a different sort of wrestling. Uh, Jacob is going to wrestle with God. Instead of laughter and fun, it will have eternal consequences to his soul. It is really through Jacob's wrestling with God that he will obtain the promises. And Jacob's wrestling is not really just an isolated event in history. It is a model for each one of us who desire to have God's blessing. The fact that Jacob must wrestle with God, if you read through the book of Genesis, it really comes as a bit of a shock. Jacob was God's covenant child, God had given to Jacob. The covenant promises, a blessing. These promises were sealed or confirmed to Jacob through the sign of circumcision, which he received as a young child. As Jacob was running from his brother Esau, God confirmed these same promises to Jacob through a dream at Bethel. It would be easy to conclude that once Jacob embraced the promises for himself, he basically said, yes, I want these promises, he would simply have a life of continual peace and joy. But really, that's not the way it works. Jacob has to wrestle. He would have to struggle. He would have to strive. And strange as it may sound, Jacob must even overcome God to obtain the promises. That's it. Pretty strange stuff, but very important for us to get today. So if you would, open up your Bibles. We're going to read through Genesis chapter 32. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And When Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of the place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now, I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, "We come to your brother Esau, we came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him." Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good. And make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys, The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, Jacob has just left Laban, or we should say Laban left Jacob. But now he knows he has to face his brother Esau. And the last time he was with Esau, Esau was intent on killing him. So Jacob was naturally afraid. God had commanded Jacob to return to the promised land, and so he's got this, this uh, confliction of. of of realities happening on the one hand he is afraid of Esau he doesn't want to go into this meeting with Esau on the other hand he's got the command of God and he knows he has to face Esau as Christians much of your life is trying to face your fears in light of the promises of God that have been given to you in Jesus Christ that's what life is And the opportunities just keep coming daily. They say the problem with being a Christian is it's daily. And it's like waves on the sea. You deal with one fear, another one comes. They just kind of keep coming against you. The first thing you need to know as you struggle with fear is that God is not insensitive to your struggle. He doesn't sit back and watch you flounder. He doesn't smack you saying, why are you afraid? He engages you knowing perfectly well your weakness. In his mercy, God takes the initiative in this passage to send angels to meet Jacob. The angels have come to encourage Jacob. He is not alone as he faces the fear of his brother. They actually set up a camp near Jacob. Jacob and so Jacob calls the place Mahanaim and in the significance of this name at the beginning it just means God's camp but as time goes on it actually means two camps and we'll see how that changes as time goes on but right now it is just that God is with Jacob now Jacob wants to see Esau but he does not want to fight with Esau Esau is his brother. Esau has also received the covenant sign of circumcision. Jacob would rather be reconciled to Esau than to have a fight with him. So he sends messengers to Esau, hoping to find favor. In the 20 years that Esau, that Jacob has been gone, Esau has become powerful. The fact that he has 400 men at his disposable is, is pretty telling. We are somewhat surprised to learn that in Jacob's message, he refers to Esau as Jacob's Lord. The reason why that's difficult and surprising is because the, 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 the prophecy that had been spoken to Jacob's mother was that the older would serve the younger. And so here we see Jacob actually calling Esau his lord. And it can be a little bit confusing to us. Is he, is he like willing to forego the promises? Like what's going on in his heart? And I don't want to dig into it too much, but I believe that Jacob's intention is no different than that of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in Philippians 2 is Lord of all. He is the Lord. And yet, what does Jesus do when he comes to this earth? He serves. He is the servant of all. And I actually think that Jacob has a um, a, a bit of character, a bit of humility that God is producing in him. Not perfection, but there's a little bit of character going on. He is willing to... to Uh, defer to his brother he's not actually submitting to him as his lord but he's willing to to give him honor uh, even above himself and that's a servant thing to do it's something that Joseph doesn't do when he receives the dreams that he is his brothers are going to bow down to him he's just arrogant and flaunts it to his brothers so Jacob here is is actually doing a good thing uh, serving in this situation now Um, In addition to referring to Esau as Lord, Jacob also uh, makes very clear that he is no longer trying to steal from Esau. When he left Esau, he was taking from Esau, taking the blessing, taking his birthright. Here, Jacob has been blessed by God, and he is willing to give him much. I'm wanting to bless you, so he's not trying to steal from him. The messengers go, they bring, they bring the message back to uh, Jacob that they have, they've gotten through to Esau, and they say, Esau's coming with 400 men. And at this point, you're, Jacob is conflicted. He doesn't know. It could be just a, a lot of people coming out to say, hey, we want to honor you, or it could be an army ready to crush you. He's not sure. And so J- Jacob's reaction is great fear. And again, this is what I want you to hear The promises of God connected with the threat of harm are really what life's about. It's a common theme through the whole passage. It's what we deal with every day. You have all these great promises of what God's going to do for you, and then you live in reality where you're every day facing dangers and fears. That's what life is about. How will Jacob face these fears? Now, When Jacob left to run away from his brother, all that he had was himself. Now he's coming back. He's got wives. He's got kids. He's got possessions. In other words, he's got a lot more to lose. And the potential for fear is increased as we receive good things from God. Just remember that. Um, These things are not bad. Jacob's family, they're all signs of God's blessing to him, but they also increase the potential for fear in Jacob's heart. He doesn't want to lose what he's gained. So what does Jacob do? The first thing he does is divide his camp into two camps. Uh, question is, is this a good thing? Well, I think it's a practical thing. I think it's something that would make sense, trying to, to reduce the losses if you can. But as as people reading the story, we're like, no, no, because all of Jacob's family has to be saved. We want it to be all of them, not just half of them. And so you're you're, you're like, no, don't do it this way, Jacob. This is not the way to do this. But Jacob's human. You ever do this yourselves? You know, on the one hand, you got some face some big trial. You, you, you pray, but then you also do what your wisdom can do, right? You're trying to do both of those. And I don't want to criticize Jacob here for his going into two camps. Uh, it is the prayer of Jacob that I want to focus on. Prayer is the product of the promises of God and the fears standing before you. That's what prayer is. You have the promises and you have the fears. And that's what drives him to pray. This is the longest, most developed prayer in all of Genesis. And I think it's important that God is the one who orchestrates the fear. God gives the promise. God gives the fear, like the the, the circumstance that causes the fear. So he gives both of those because God wants us to pray. He wants us to rely upon him. God doesn't want you to live your life independently of him. He wants you to interact with him. He wants you to talk to him and receive his word and have this dialogue with him on a regular basis because God wants you to experience him, not just the the blessings that he can give. Let's look at some of the specifics here. First, Jacob addresses God. How does he address him? He calls him the God of my father Abraham and the God of my father Isaac. So Jacob's not found a new God. He's calling on the same God that that belonged to his dad and grandfather. Notice, though, that Jacob does not call God my God. That will come later. Uh, But it's not, I don't want to be too critical of him in this. This is how God actually revealed himself at Bethel when he was leaving the promised land. He says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. So he's just repeating that back to him. Also, in addition to identifying who God is, and I think that's an important part of our prayers, we should, we should not just flip over calling God Father or calling Him God. We should, we should say Jesus, and we should talk about the things that He has done and who He is, and to make clear in our prayers that we are praying to the one true triune God. But he also identifies God as the God who spoke to him. Jacob says to God, you are the one who said to me. Well, a lot of things God has said to him. He's given him his promises. But he's also given him his command to return to the promised land. So in other words, Jacob is telling God, I'm in this predicament because I love you. And I'm trying to obey you. That's what he's telling him. Not blaming God. He's just acknowledging, you told me to come here. And I am trying to obey you. Next, we see see that Jacob remembers God's promise to do him good. But he also remembers that he is unworthy of that promise. If you pray in such a way that people would hear you and think, oh, that person thinks he deserves God's blessing, you're not praying the way God wants you to pray. You should be absolutely clear that you are unworthy to receive the blessing of God. Jacob says, I'm unworthy. I don't deserve this. Jacob knows his failures, his faults. And instead of trusting in his own goodness, his own merit, he trusts in the two covenant words that go throughout scripture, hesed and emet. H-E-S-E-D-M-E-M-E-T. They are translated steadfast love and faithfulness. That is the heart of the covenant All the time. Why does God bless you? Well, because he's a God who is steadfast in his love for you. Why does God bless you? Because he is faithful to fulfill his promises to you. That is the foundation of all the blessing here. In the New Testament, just to try to help you understand this is not just Old Testament stuff, in the New Testament, in John 1, John the Baptist is explaining... Um, or maybe it's John, Apostle John. I have to go back and look at that. But he's explaining that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blessing that we receive in Jesus Christ, and he says it this way in John one seventeen: For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I believe that those two words, grace and truth, it changes languages from Hebrew to Greek, but I think grace refers to steadfast love, And truth refers to faithfulness. And I think both of those come to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm trying to develop for you. Your prayer to God is thinking about who God is, his steadfast love, his faithfulness, his promises, and then you are expressing to him your, your fears and your needs and you're calling out to him to continue to fulfill his promises to you. That's what prayer is. now is it absolutely necessary that Jacob gain a favorable hearing from Esau and not be killed by Esau in order to inherit the promises? Well, the answer is no. If you remember earlier, Abraham, when he was with Isaac, said that even if I were to kill Isaac, God would raise him up from the dead to fulfill his promises. So it's not absolutely necessary. And the same thing's true in our lives as we pray for things, as we think, oh, Lord, I just lost my job. Would you help me to continue to find a new job? It's like, it's not the actual specific prayer that's essential because God can fulfill his promises even if we die to us. But you... God wants you to take your daily needs and pray to God for for grace to help you in those needs in light of the promises of God that have been given to you. That's, That's what I'm talking about. So, I think this prayer of God is really important because I think it helps us to understand the wrestling with God that will occur in a moment. You and I do not have physical wrestling matches with God. But we do wrestle with God in our prayers. There's a spiritual wrestling that goes on in our prayers. And I think as we interpret this entire passage, we're to take this this prayer And it actually becomes sort of an Old Testament model. We use the the Lord's Prayer as a New Testament model. But this is an Old Testament model of what it means to truly cling to God as we wrestle with our fears. So, Dr. Beakey says that the promises of God are pleading ground for us in our prayers. Okay. Um, Jacob finishes his prayer. And what does he do then? Pretty long, drawn-out plan, really going from 13 to 20. And and he he sends these gifts, these waves of gifts to Esau. And it can seem like Jacob is, he prayed, but now he's not trusting God. And I don't think that's true. I think that he... He is demonstrating love towards Esau. He's he's demonstrating that he's not hoarding his wealth. He's not trying to steal wealth. He's actually been so much blessed by God that he's able to give a really big gift to Esau and not himself become a pauper. He's not going to be poor. And I think this is true of Christians. We should be generous with what we've been given. We should be giving. We should not hoard it. Uh, and I think Jacob actually is exemplifying good character here. Um, and the fact that he's using these means to try to appease es- Esau doesn't mean that he's not trusting God either. Okay, so he sends this gift, and he is left with just his family. He takes his, his wives and his kids, and he sends them across the Jabbok River, and he stays back. Now this is not to, to, uh, because he's afraid, he's a coward. Um, He actually, the next day when he does meet Esau, in the next chapter, he will go in front of his family to meet Esau. So it's not cowardly here. But he realizes that he has to deal with God alone. There are some things that you can do in your relationship with God corporately. We come to corporate worship. We worship him together. We take communion together. But there are some things that you have to do alone with God. Moses specifically wants us to know that this encounter occurs alone. I say this a lot as we take communion. I say, when you take the bread, take it individually because you have to individually deal with God. When you stand before God on the judgment day, you won't be with somebody else. It'll be you and God. You have to deal with him. You have to engage God individually, personally. And that's what will happen here. Jacob begins a struggle with a man. Initially, we don't even know who this man is. And they wrestle all night long. We're not told this is a vision. I think it's some kind of actual like, theophany where God actually enfleshes himself as a man and wrestles with, with Jacob. I, I can't imagine what this encounter would be like. Um, I don't know at what point Jacob realizes he's wrestling with God. I don't know if it was at the very beginning or some point in the midst of it, but he figures it out by the end that he's been wrestling with God. Why would God do this? I mean, what's the point? Why would God humble himself and and enter into this wrestling match with Jacob? I mean, the question is true of you. Does God really want to wrestle with you? What is his purpose? What is he trying to get out of you? Well, let's look at the encounter and see if we can learn what maybe God is doing. Jacob wrestles all night long. And the man, after wrestling with him all night long, notices something. What does he notice? He notices that he is losing to Jacob. Jacob is winning the wrestling match. Commentator Walton says that Jacob was 97 years old. How can anyone beat God in a wrestling match? Only after the man sees that he is losing does he touch the socket of Jacob's hip. And immediately Jacob's hip is put out of joint. Now what is going on here is the man, even while he's losing the larger match, demonstrates to Jacob that he is only winning because he's letting him win. The man could have crushed Jacob. This also tells you that it is the man who wants Jacob to win. In this way, God wants you to beat him. At the same time, the man is not making the match easy. Throughout the night, Jacob's strength is getting weaker and weaker, and weaker. The man looks at Jacob, and he says, okay, the morning's here, time to stop. Let me go, you have prevailed. No longer any need to struggle. Everything's finished. And yet Jacob says to him, in a verse that I have etched in my mind, I hope it will be etched in yours. I will not let you go unless you bless me. I hope you have that memorized or will memorize that. What is it that Jacob is trying to obtain? He's trying to obtain blessing. He knows that he's wrestling with God and he says, I will not let you go until I get the blessing. Jacob has said a prayer, praying for the blessing. Now he is in his soul wrestling to maintain the same posture of, I will not let you go until you bless me. So what does it mean to wrestle with God for blessing? Well, it means one thing. It means that you are so much hungering and thirsting for that blessing that it is your singular utmost desire. I want it more than anything else in the world. It is something that you want that you will lose all of your strength to have it. What does Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God. He doesn't say seek it in your spare time. It is to pursue the blessing relentlessly, clinging to the promise, facing your fears. I will not let you go until you bless me. And here's the tension. God has already unilaterally promised to Jacob that he will be blessed. But Jacob must wrestle with God to obtain the blessing. Now we have a discussion of names. What do names have to do with blessing? Well, if you could gain somebody's name, that meant you had authority over them. Who divulges their name in this story? God doesn't divulge his name. Jacob divulges his This implies that God is the one with the authority. God is the one who has the ability to bless. And even though in the struggle, in the wrestling match, Jacob prevailed over God, wink, wink, because God wanted him to, right? This is the one time God wants to be beaten. When you cling to him to pour out the fulfillment of his promises to you, God's that's what he wants. He wants you to cling to his promises. Not only does God learn Jacob's name, but then he changes Jacob's name. And I have to say to myself, we could do better as teachers because we have not taught you what Israel means enough. I tested this this past week. I asked, you know, what does Israel mean? Uh, salvation of God or, you know. <laughs> it means striven with God. The defining characteristic of who is Israel we strive with God not strive against God not fight to oppose him we strive with him because God wants us to strive this is your name you are the new Israel you have been given blessings in Jesus Christ he has purchased all of the promises for you in him they are yours to be received by faith alone and yet you must wrestle with him if you want to receive them. Jacob is not prevailing over God from a position of strength as if he is conquering God, just the opposite. Jacob is increasingly being weakened. His strength is failing. He's at the end. His hip is ripped out of its socket and yet he continues to cling. Doesn't it not that feel that way Sometimes. Does it not feel like everything's being stripped away from you? Older saints probably understand this even better than younger saints. You can feel like every blessing is gone. What has my life even been worth? You cling when you have no other place to go. Bruce Walkie says, Only when Jacob is broken does he pr- prevail with God. In the wrestling match initiated by God, he loses physical strength and prevails only through prayer. Jacob does not even quit when his strength is gone. There are some times I'm even tired of praying. I've prayed for this so many times I don't even want to pray for it again. But I will not let go of you because the Lord has promised good to me in Jesus Christ. Amen. It is encouraging to know that He doesn't want you to receive the promises with ease. Because you know what? We don't. And I think sometimes we think when we're struggling in our hearts and we're tired and we're frustrated that somehow something is wrong. It's not wrong. It's the way God wants. It's how we distinguish ourselves as His people. Those who don't belong to God could just care less and go the other way. Jesus even said to his disciples when all the other disciples had left him, Do you want to leave me too? And they said, To whom shall we go? There's no other place to get eternal life but in you. As Christians, you will struggle to have this faith throughout your life. It'll come in waves. It won't always be struggle, but you'll come in these waves and you'll have these struggles. And, and I almost say, man, I wish I could get it over in one night of struggling. Sometimes the struggle in your soul will be to gain mastery over some sin that's stubborn in you. You're tired of fighting against this sin. You can't understand why you've not made more progress. Your faith struggle is to remain in the fight, to not quit, believing that you're united to Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection, and you will have victory in the end. Sometimes your struggle is not over a particular sin, sometimes your struggle is just is the faith really true? We are bombarded with messages that the Christian life is foolishness. And it's easy to become overwhelmed with that. And then in addition to that, your personal closeness with God, your your intimacy with Him seems to have dried up like a fading dream. You've tried to pursue God and you still feel like He's way away from you. And so you begin to wonder, is it even true? And your struggle is just to hang on Lord, you have the words of eternal life. I will not quit clinging. Sometimes your struggle is with your loved ones abandoning the faith. We know that that the promises are given to us and to our children, and then our children walk away from the faith, and you're just like, Lord, what is going on? Mothers in particular struggle with this because they've devoted their lives to trying to help their children to know God. And you wonder whether God's even good. Sometimes it's, we're struggling to like another member of the church. Sometimes we're struggling with depression. Sometimes we're struggling with the loss of a loved one. The types of struggling are as varied as the situations that you face. They're all over the place. And through every trial, there is a wrestling that goes on in the heart. Will I keep clinging to Christ to give to me His eternal promises? The last couple verses are like a prologue, like an ending that helps us understand things. Jacob understands that he has been locked in a faith struggle with the God of the universe, and he calls the place Peniel, which means the face of God. And here's what I think you, you have to understand. If it was just about giving blessing, I'm not sure you'd have to struggle. I think God could just give it. But God wants you to know him. And I don't believe you know God until you wrestle with God in the dark places of your heart. Jacob has seen God face to face and I know the Bible says you can't even do that but he... For him, he's like, man, I I know God in a way I never knew him before. And it is knowing God in which you find life. Jacob has to limp the rest of his life because it's not about Jacob's strength. Jacob has a reminder that it is about his weakness that he wins. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And in closing, I want to make one thing really, really clear to you. You will never receive the fullness of God's blessing in this life. Do not think, if I just wrestle with God and wrestle with Him, then I'll get what I want. Right now. It's not the way it works. The writer of Hebrews makes it very clear, Every Christian, everyone who's ever hoped in God, all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. You will never get it all here. You will be clinging to Christ to the day that you die. If you are experiencing internal struggle today, remember Jesus. He is the one in whom we have to fix our eyes upon. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. And Jesus, too, wrestled with God. What do you think he was doing in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was wrestling. He was sweating drops of blood for you. Because he knows you don't have the strength to wrestle like you need to wrestle. And so he wrestles for you. And then he unites himself to you so that he can help you to wrestle with him. And as you wrestle with God, you should be crying out, Lord, I can't wrestle with you. Give me your strength. And Jesus will come alongside of you and he will help you to wrestle. If you're in one of these dark nights of your soul, if you're struggling with God, don't think that something's wrong. It's not fun like my wrestling matches with my kids, but it's good. And if you will cry out like Jacob, I will not let you go until you bless me, you will receive the blessing won't be all in this life, but you will receive it. And he will look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because that which pleases God is not how strong you are, but faith. A faith that endures. Amen.